I'm Robin. And I'm Wayne. We're investors at VMG Partners, and we help build iconic consumer brands. Every day, some of the world's most fascinating founders share their stories with us before they've made it. Their highs and lows. Mistakes and triumphs. But always extraordinary results. And now we're sharing these stories with you. This is Unfinished Biz. You know, I'm using Ziplocs every day and, you know, bags that are resealable. And I'm like, how can I, like, make some? This is so cool. Like, how can I make my product into this? On this episode of Unfinished Biz, Stasher founder and CEO Kat Nuri shares all the details of how her reusable, airtight silicone line of bags, strong enough for storage, freezing, and cooking, also keeps countless single-use plastics from ending up in oceans and landfills. Growing up in a health-conscious household, Kat learned early on to focus her habits on minimal waste and maximum wellness. But fulfilling those dreams as a businesswoman meant dodging some curveballs, too. I really wanted to, like, matter and, and have an identity of my own. Like, I have my own ambition, and I felt like I was smarter than so many other people, and I still couldn't, like, I didn't have my own journey. Find out how Kat's early days as a rebellious kid shaped her entrepreneurial spirit, how she got so skilled at selling her ideas to the right people, and why plastic alternatives are so important for all of us. Unfinished Biz starts now. Rob, I met Kat just at a, a dinner a few weeks ago, and you know she's truly a force of nature. Mm-hmm. And hearing her life story and how she became an entrepreneur, I mean that tenacity that she had. I was like, this this is someone we gotta <laughs> have on the show. Yep. And and part of that whole story relates to her background in terms of wanting to help solve for something more environmentally friendly than than how harmful plastic can be. And Stasher's really taken that next step. You know, not only are they actually replacing plastic with silicone, but they're also providing something that's actually really convenient as well. Kat sat down with us at our VMG offices in San Francisco for some truly candid storytelling about her journey. I think that I've been an entrepreneur in the making since I was little. And um, I would say it's because I have been such a rebel. And I think what my difference is what has made who I've become um, that's trying to make a difference. Um, So being a rebel um, since I was little comes from the fact that I'm a a child of immigrant parents. Mm -hmm. I moved here from Iran when I was 10 years old. And I moved here with my mom and dad. And when we moved here, um, English was my second language. So I'm still like really like, oh my God, do I have an accent? Did I say that (laughs) word wrong? You know, so, and my parents were those like, you know, Iranians are really like into education and they're really like driven and um, very much like Asians and, and, and Jewish folks, you know, we're always like, pushing our kids to do like their most and so forth. So I tried not to do that to my kids. Um, <laughs> so I go do what you love. So um, when I moved here, um, I there were like traditional cultural things that came with that, where my mom was like, um, my mom was getting her PhD in nutrition in Iran. And when mm-hmm. we got here, she had to do it all over again. And her like hard work and like how she wanted to stand out as a woman um, from a different culture. Like I remember my mom was like one of the first people to get a car and she was like one of the first of her friends that was in university. And my dad was so proud of her. My dad was second in the world in wrestling. So he traveled. Yeah. So he traveled all over the world and um, he was an Olympian. um, He actually tried out for the Olympics and he lived in Russia. And I mean, he's just like, if you see his like pictures, he's like ripped, you know? So (laughs) my brother's always like, huh? (laughs) 
That's funny. So um, we grew up with a really healthy upbringing. My mom being like a PhD in nutrition, my dad being second in the world in wrestling and so forth. So they really wanted us to like, so every day my dad like pretty much with a stick be like, let's go, go up the hill and you know, do this and do that. And so, um, and my mom was always like, be moderate in what you eat. You can eat anything and everything that you want, but like, you know, don't be really moderate about it. Like mm-hmm. you can have a little bit of sugar, but have real sugar. Don't have fake sugars. You know, you can have a beer, but have a light beer. Don't, you know, yeah. Not a light beer, but just have less of a beer instead of a light beer and so mm-hmm. forth. So, so she I, was very moderate. So when I would sneak an entire pack of Oreos out of my <laughs> pantry into my room without my mom knowing and I ate, would eat the whole thing, that's, is that, that's not moderation. That's not moderate okay. at all. And my mom would all say, right. you know, where'd those cookies go, you guys? Right. Remember about moderation? You know, let's try to work on that because I'm right. not buying any for a couple of weeks. So we would learn really quick. But one of the things that also came with that is that my mom would never let us wrap our food with plastic or foil. She was like, you know, this is... Besides, like at that time, um, because she came from a country that wasn't that aware of pollution either, you know, where I, I still sense that sometimes where I see some people that are from other countries that are not as conscious as we are here sometimes about um, throwing things away in an improper way and so forth. And I think that, so that wasn't really a big part of it yet, but as someone who was really connected to food, she felt that foil and, and plastics, especially plastics when they were uh, subjected to heat, were not a good thing. Like she would never, she, we were like, as soon as you, she put, first of all, she'd say, don't use the microwave. Second of all, she'd say, if you use the microwave, jump away. Like, you know, so we jump yeah. backwards. And I still say to my kids, I'm like, you're such a weirdo, you know? <laughs> like, if you push the button, like, jump out. Right. <laughs> so she was like, she'd never let us put anything that's plastic in the microwave either. So she really discouraged it, but realized we live in a modern life. We have to do things quickly sometimes, yeah. but don't let those be your regular habits. Mm-hmm. So that's how I grew up with it. So I wanted, so later on, as you'll see when I talk about my company, that's where it all came from. And then my mom, just coming from more of a traditional background as a woman, always had to fight her way to what she wanted and how she wanted to stand out or a position that she wanted to take or the education that she wanted to get. My dad was always like her hero. Mm -hmm. Like he like pushed her and said, oh my gosh, well, I never got an education. I want you to be educated. I want our kids to be educated. So they were very pro-education and we went to private Catholic schools in Iran. And then when we came here, my mom was always like, you know, um, very ambitious and getting us into the best schools and so forth. So we moved to Walnut Creek and we lived in the suburbs. And I had a real issue with that. I did not fit in. And I had no desire to move uh, to fit in. And my brother was just like, right away, he like, you know, just completely wanted to be a part of that. And it was his jam. And for me, I was just like, I don't really relate to everyone. I'm, I, I was really into multicultural diversity. And I, wa- I didn't feel like my difference was appreciated there, mm-hmm. that everybody had to be the same. And especially back then, I mean, Walt Creek's very different yeah. now. But back then, it was, uh, the culture was very like, very the same and Mm -hmm. it it wasn't somewhere that I thrived so I was actually like Ali Sheedy from Breakfast Club (laughs) so you know sitting there like shaking your dandruff on the table and everybody's going weirdo you know so my parents actually had to ship me off to Australia because I refused to go to school I was hiding in the closet and not going to school and they found out right around high school and everybody always if you ask someone in high school they thought I was a weirdo and I'm (laughs) very proud of that (laughs) but um, so when my parents sent me away to Australia to Australia to Sydney what why why yeah. there? Um, my aunt lived there and my oh, okay. two cousins were there. So my mom's sister. And she said, you know, here's my rebel child, you know, and actually you'll be really, um, this is really funny. When I got on the airplane, 
my brother gave me a song and it was, um, Hey little sister, what have you done by Billy Idol? What's that song called? You know? Mm-hmm. And my brother gave that to me. He's like, Hey little sister, what have you done? You know, I'm just like, <laughs> Oh shit. You know, have I done something? But right. I remember when I was flying up and I looked down, I thought, you know, the world is really not that small. Walnut Creek is just a tiny part of it. Right. So this is my opportunity to go find myself. So I went to Australia, went to the Ministry of Education. He took one look at me. I had like spiky hair with earrings and, you know, all like, you know, color down the tips and this and that. He said, you're going to an all-girls school. <laughs> I said, but my cousins don't go to an all-girls school. Why do I have to? He goes, you're going to an all-girls school. But it was like the best year of my life where it made me feel so free with those girls from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Sydney's like very multicultural. Yep. And I just felt like my mom just just that opened up my world to me. She gave me that opportunity to see that there was so much more out there. So when I went back home, I um, decided to, uh, I actually decided to like get serious about school. And I had a point something in, in high school, not a one point something. <laughs> so this is very different than other people. And I decided, you know what, I am, I think people don't expect, like, everybody's always undermined me. Like, as a woman, um, someone from the Middle East, my parents, like, my, they were like, they didn't want me to go away to college because they thought girls got pregnant. You know, even though they were really, like, modern, they were like, no, you stay home, your brother gets to go away. And your brother gets to have girlfriends over, and, and even though you're going out with someone for five years, they can't even come over for your birthday. And my parents were really modern, mm-hmm. you know, in other ways, yeah. but with, with those traditional things, they weren't. So I was like, no, no, you know, so I was always like, you know, just a total rebel. Like, I had a fire inside of me and I thought how do I take this fire and I make it into something positive instead of like I'm one of those people that thinks like instead of like smoking why don't I do some sit-ups you know mm-hmm. and that's a positive thing and it's a habit but it'll yeah. go in a positive direction I'll have great abs maybe you know <laughs> <laughs> so I kept continuing in that direction of taking some of the fire that I felt inside of my stomach that could be a negative into something positive so um, I decided to go to UC Berkeley because a friend of mine was going there and I thought, I want to go where my friend's going, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just hid for like, when I decide that I want to do something, I just hid for like a year in my room. And my mom was so worried. You're she back in the, you hid back in the closet I again? Like I, I was, but in a good way this time. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about closets in my life. I'll explain that. Um, so when I got back, I decided to study really hard and I got a counselor that believed in me. Mm-hmm. And he said, God, you just like, when you focus, you can really do it. So um, I got all like, I got like a 4.0 and I got into Cal, mm-hmm. you know, like for a year and a half. And he's like, God, I've never seen anyone do this. So, yeah. And I realized I'm not stupid. I just didn't w- want to do that because they were forcing me to. And now it was for me and I had a direction mm-hmm. and I wanted to do it. That gave me like, that was the first time that I felt like, gosh, I can really do something if I put my mind to it. So then I started sort of like down my entrepreneurial journey. I um, got a a job through my sister-in-law's dad at IBM, and I got like the best training in sales ever. And um, I, I went to UC Berkeley. I finished my school. I got my internship at Cal, and it was Amazing. I mean, I, I was like, wow, this is the corporate world. I got this amazing apartment in Knob Hill. Not, that's not rebellious, though, to join IBM. No, <laughs> exactly. I noticed. Well, you'll see. I was wearing like short Chanel skirts and stuff. And, and everybody's like, who's that girl? Like, she's so weird. Like, why is she? So I didn't find myself being comfortable there either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like sitting in a cubicle all day, but I became like their top salesperson. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working for um, a sub company called ABS that they sourced all their sales to. Okay. And what I found out is that the guy that was a total like 
the guy just did not perform at all. He sat at his desk all day. Mm-hmm. One day him and I were talking and my sales manager loved me to this day. Like she'll say, I'm the most like tenacious person that she's ever had work for her. I found out the guy was making like $20,000 more than me a year and he was a total like dud. Right. Like, you know, and I was so disheartened that this guy, just because he was a guy, again, you know, I thought I had like bypassed all this stuff. And I'm like, no, it's not just cultural from my own culture. Mm-hmm. It's the world. I mean, women are perceived in a different way. And I just read yesterday, my um, VP of uh, marketing sent it to me that between ages of 20 and 40 is when women actually have the least amount of self-confidence to ask for the next position up or like to um, accelerate in a specific position. So I just felt like, oh my gosh, this is like not what I want to do. And I want to work in a place that I would thrive in and they would appreciate and so forth. So at that time I was like, um, I had this one account and there's this guy, his name was Farzad Naimi and he's got like, I don't know, two or three IPOs now, you know, ton of Silicon Valley guys that are a person now, mm-hmm. you know, they're just, you know, they they work really hard and so forth. And he, I was at one of my visits and he said, you know, Kat, you're an entrepreneur. And I said to him, entre what? <laughs> <laughs> Even though my parents were entrepreneurs right. the whole time we were growing up, yep. like my dad did like every gig under the sun and my mom was going to school and um, they had a really dysfunctional marriage too. So that was like a big part of it where my mom kept telling me, whatever you do, make sure you make your own money. Mm-hmm. Don't ever like rely on having to be with someone because you have to be like, make sure you're an independent woman. So that was really baked in me and I wanted to be like really accomplished. So um, I said to him, okay, well, entrepreneur and he said well why don't I help you like become an entrepreneur like there's this thing with this Japanese company you know that I work with this Japanese company you could do import exporting of clothes for them he saw that I was really creative because I dress cool and stuff he's like well you've got like an innate sense for design and you know you're super like motivated why don't you like start your own thing so I tried that for a minute and then I was like, I, I started seeing that all the Japanese guys were hitting on me all the time. Like I was getting calls in the middle of the night and stuff. I was, I was cute when I'm in my 20s. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was just like, no, I didn't go to school and all this. So that I could like be like, you know, somebody's like, you know, geisha or whatever. So I got really disheartened. I quit my job. I wanted to do something creative. And you're still at the, the IBM sales company. At this the time. is when I was at IBM and I was doing the side gig. Yep, I, had, right. I was starting these side companies right. thinking like, how can I create my own thing? Yeah. Right. And um, I highly recommend holding on to your job when you're doing something else. I mean, for other entrepreneurs, just because. Well, it can't be a side hustle unless you have your primary hustle. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. So um, then after that, I was just like, okay, what's my next thing? Like, what am I going to do? And I, this is when I um, so, um, met, met up with my husband. And he said, and he was like my dad in that I was looking for someone that would really support me. And he said, you know, you go do whatever you want. I'll work. And he had just gotten his first job as an engineer. And he's like, we had this tiny little apartment. He said, move out of yours, give yours up. You don't have to work. And we moved into, um, he lived above, uh, like by UC Berkeley on Virginia street and in this tiny little studio. I was like, God, I gotta go clean this place if I'm gonna move in. <laughs> so I moved in, and my dad, but you know, damn, at least it's free. I know, right? It was, <laughs> and um, and and I loved the guy. Like from the minute I like, he was, he became my best friend. We've been married for 25 years, so oh, he's great. been my absolute pillar. So, um, so my dad c- comes over and he says, um, we don't do this kind of stuff in our culture. Like, if you guys <laughs> were like, okay, so we went up to Tahoe when we got married. Like after being together for three months, we bought like elephant rings, like rings that had elephants on them yeah. from, from uh, Telegraph. Mm-hmm. And then we went up there and, you know, one of those scenes where you see like the priest jump on the other side and say, oh, will you take this woman? And he says yes to himself. And then he runs back over. 
<laughs> and so we got married. My parents got mad and they had us have a big wedding. And um, my mom negotiated with them. Why don't you buy the rings and we'll pay for their down payment for their house, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So th- then we had like a wedding with 300 people and all that stuff. And, and my parents were like, OK, like, you know, what's your next thing? Like, what are you going to do? And my husband was like, do whatever you want. So mm-hmm. I started doing floral design and ceramics and I started flipping houses and I bought our first house. And then my husband wanted to start his own business. So I supported him in starting a manufacturing company with his best, one of his best friends so from what, college. So what year is this? This is, gosh, I'm the worst with years. I, if you asked me like what year I'd graduate right now, I'd be like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It was like in my late, um, I'm 53 now, so mm-hmm. am I supposed to say that? You can say whatever yeah. you want. <laughs> You're I'm on the podcast. Right now, right? Yeah, and I was like, gosh, I got married when I was 30. Um, and then we had our first child at 31. Okay. So right around that time, um, my I started doing some things in the arts that I loved, mm-hmm. and I started doing um, uh, things around. But I want to get to like how I got to my ideas and so forth. So my husband having that creative side and having the sales and marketing side, and then also my husband having the manufacturing side of it yep. is what I ended up doing. Right, is all of those things pulled together. So I always tell young people like, don't be in such a hurry to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. Every single thing, whether you fail at it or you're successful at it, whatever it is, you're going to walk away with something that's useful to you. Mm-hmm. Like, so just embrace the, uh, and the journey. The, the journey. It's like, yeah. we're always trying to get somewhere. I should tell myself that right now too, because <laughs> I'm in that moment where I'm like, okay, so what do I do in this next stage? And what do I do with that? So um, my husband was manufacturing test interface products for the semiconductor industry. And I helped him set up the distribution and their partnerships because I had a sales background. And I have to say, gosh, if there's one skill that I'd want to have as an entrepreneur is your sales skill. Mm. You're constantly selling yourself, whether it's to Mm -hmm. um, raise money or whether it's to a customer to believe in you, whether you want to hire your best employee. You're always selling yourself and you Mm -hmm. never stop. So I would say that's the number one skill that anybody, if you don't have it, and I have friends that are entrepreneurs, it's really hard for them. They actually have to belong to certain groups like, I won't name any, but there are a lot of like entrepreneur groups yeah. where they just go and sit in a group. They're like, oh, I bet so-and-so in such a group. I can go to a conference. And that's been like one of my biggest assets. Mm-hmm. I'm not like I'm really friendly and I'm not because I have good sales skills. I'm not like annoying. So I'll know if I'm going to email you with a certain thing. And I know if I'm being like bothersome to you and you'll never email me again. Mm-hmm. I know how to pull like push and then pull back. Yeah. And there is an art to that. People don't know that. Like, I know other entrepreneurs that want my help, and I get, like, 20 emails from them in a day. I'm like, holy shit, I'm not even going to email them because they're never going to go away. But they stopped at 19, you might have. Right. (laughs) I might have. You know, I like people that are really, like, you know, um, tenacious, and they come after things, and they have, like, they poke at good effort. But there's a part when you're getting annoying. So I decided to – I was kind of watching all these connections between manufacturing and so forth, and I was like, okay, well, I'm I'm creative, and I – by this time, I had three kids. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I was, I had three kids, and I was like, here I, I was feeling like I had that moment where I was a nobody. Like, I actually Googled my name one night when I was staying up with the kids. I was on child three. My, my brother said to me, have you ever thought about staying home? I'm like, what? Like, stay home? Like, I'd, like, worked through the whole thing of having three kids. So there I was. I had three kids, and I was like, I have no identity. Like, I'm someone's mother. I'm someone's daughter. I'm someone's wife. But 
who am I? Like I Googled and I didn't exist. Like my mom was all over the place. My brother had done something. So I, I really wanted to like matter and, and have an identity of my own. Like I have my own ambition and I felt like I was smarter than so many other people and I still couldn't, like I didn't have my own journey. So I decided to start looking at nights when as soon as the kids would go to bed, like mm-hmm. there it was, like 11 o'clock at night, you're washing dishes, you're folding laundry, whatever. And then I'm on the computer till three or four o'clock in the morning. Like, and I did this for like a whole year. I'm trying to look for manufacturing. I'm looking right. for like other industries to see like what needs to be disrupted mm-hmm. and what is being done. Like, you know, because there's, I mean, Eric Ryan's like one, one of my favorite people. Uh, and um, so what he's done, and, and I, you know, you guys have said this, I want to be the method of this or whatever. At that point, I didn't really know about him and method. Right. Yep. I know him now and yeah. so forth. But um, at that point, I had that same feeling like what needs to be disrupted? What is being done in a way that should be changed? And then I remembered how my mom was so upset about like plastics and, mm-hmm. and and then you know the plastic um the the uh, wave for uh, the plastic free movement was not there at all like mm-hmm. a decade ago like yeah. people were like why why are plastics like bad or single-use plastic bad so i looked more at aesthetics like tabletop products and baby bibs and so forth yeah. so i started a company called modern twist okay so um, modern twist is we basically became the first company to hand silk screen on silicone and make it into a textile and I got into the industry with a, in a mid to high end sort of a tabletop yeah. and baby and kids like each bib is like $20, which is like the most beautiful bib you've ever touched. And it will last you like three or four kids, you know. Yeah. So I wanted to produce quality products that mm-hmm. were plastic free that were made out of silicone. So I came across silicone and I started working with factories here in the U.S. as well as overseas. OK. How and did you I- identify yeah, silicone what? as sort of. The that, ingredient. I, I was trying to like rush through that for you. No, it's curious. <laughs> but yeah. basically, um, silicone's in the rubber family as opposed to um, plastic that has like, and both of them could be both. Both could actually be really bad. It depends on what you put in them. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to work with a pure form of uh, silicone that did not have fillers and byproducts and so forth and BPA and phthalates mm-hmm. and all the things that yeah. they put in there that are plasticizers because those are the things that are really bad, right? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to come up with something that was still functional. Yes, it's not made out of potatoes. Right, right. <laughs> and I, I hope to be the first one to come up with something that's made out of potatoes that <laughs> lasts forever and you can also, you know, reuse it constantly. But silicon was the one that could withstand heat yep. and it didn't off gas. And I came across that after playing with other materials. Okay. So um, I started looking for factories that did silicone. Back then, they were only putting like, hand, they were only hand silk screening like on spatulas and uh-huh. so forth. And so um, I was like, huh, like people are playing with this, but they're not really doing anything with it that's like, other than that, like, I want this to be a textile. Like, yep. why can't we make it into a textile? Oh. So I started playing with that and really got extravagant in the designs we would put on it. And then we started um, working with independent designers. Mm-hmm. And people just loved the work of, like, Rex Ray, who's a yeah. San Francisco artist. And we did a collaboration with MoMA with him and mm. Amy Ruppel. And putting and them on the bibs? Putting it on the bibs, putting it on the um, table runners yeah. and mats. And then we would launch it at MoMA. MoMA was my first, like, oh, customer cool. that totally believed in me. So I showed up at my first. Um, show in at New York now yeah. and um, I have to tell you about this because I decided to do this and I started like formulating all these like people that could produce for me and so forth got ripped off and like anybody would have been like wow like how did you last I worked with a US manufacturer first mm-hmm. ripped me off blind um, and people say oh go over to China and they'll rip you off no you can get ripped off right here at home <laughs> <laughs> how, how did you find them in the first place I, w- I was looking to see like who did um, silk screening on like 
for these guys, it was on big, um, like they were doing esprits, like, you know, signs and so forth. So Uh, they had big printing presses and so forth. So I showed up at a show and found out that the guy had actually like silk screened on top of the material and and put a layer on it Uh instead of actually doing it directly on the material. Uh And there I was standing with MoMA and they like kind of like peeled it and they're like, uh, what the hell? Like, I'm like, I promise I'll get it right. You know, and and I showed up at the show, didn't tell anybody because, you know, I kept telling people I wanted to do this. Everybody's like, that's so stupid. Like what a, you know, like nobody like nobody like believed in what I was doing except for my poor husband who's like, like how much have you put on the credit card? How much have you taken out on the house? You know, there I was spending twenty thousand dollars or whatever at a show in New York, not knowing if this was ever going to work. Mm-hmm. I show up at the show. My last account that signed on was MoMA, SF MoMA. Yeah. And I remember Kit walked up to me and she said, you know, I'll take like you know she. Gave me like a ten thousand dollar order for my mm-hmm. first order. I remember going around the corner and telling my husband, "Honey, I think I have something." Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. That's great. So it was amazing. And then actually, when I went home to fulfill the order, I was still like packing. So my husband said I could put a big metal crate behind his company, and that could be my warehouse. Nice. So I had a big metal crate um, sent to the, his company, mm-hmm. and he felt so sorry for me because UPS would come to the back. And I remember one day it was raining so hard on the UPS on the crate, and you could hear it really loud because it's a tin thing, you know. And you're hearing like all the drizzle of the rain. I'm like, oh my god, there's got to be a better way to make a living. And I had a scale next to me, and the UPS yeah. a guy had come and knock on the door, and I was there with a the chair and my inventory. The, the glorious life of the oh entrepreneur. Oh my god! Right? And I totally packed everything. Yeah. Like I sent SF Moments shipment the first time, like three times what they should have gotten. And I, I call, she's like, uh, did you know you just sent me like $30,000? Uh-huh. i am like, oh, my God, you know, I promise you, if you don't sell it, I'll take it back. Why don't you try it? She sold through it and ordered more. I like oh, that strategy. So it was it was under strategy. I can't. Oh, well, I can't consignment sale. I, I know. Wow. I can't claim yeah, that. That's so, so so that's what happened. So how did Modern Twist turn into Stasher? So then I was, you know, I became. You know, I had like five employees. Everybody's working in my house, and I couldn't justify. I'd seen friends that had spent a lot of money um, trying to get their ideas off the ground, like paying for business cards and stationery and this and that, and then they'd go belly up, spending all this money up front. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I promise not to spend any stupid money until like I actually deserve it I don't even deserve a space without like you know because I was so afraid like this is my family money I was taking home money out of our home equity every day and I was watching those credit cards like just paying those minimums I wasn't even telling my husband because a poor guy I mean because I mean the guy was already going to work every day and we were trying to juggle three kids I mean our kids were like I don't know two four and six or something I mean my kids are now 17 19 and 21 Mm -hmm. so those little kids it was so much work and we were just like exhausted so I didn't need that on his plate on top of it Mm -hmm. I'm like what he doesn't know right now won't hurt him until like you know (laughs) so I kept on trekking and then um I was like I started hanging out with um my mom as I mentioned to you she was in the food world and she was like a nutritionist and so forth and so she met Ahmed Rahim uh Numi uh Tisa yeah yeah, uh CEO and and his sister um Reem who um are really good they're like my brother and sister like really good friends of mine and um she introduced me to them because she met them at the fancy food show in San Francisco. Okay. So I started hanging out with them and I started getting introduced into like, he had this really cool, unique company where it was about, as they say, community, you know, like DA. Mm -hmm. And it's like the first company that I'd seen where people really loved where they worked. I mean, and it was because of 
their mission. They were mm-hmm. value driven. So the people that worked there were there because of the love of what they were doing. And that was like serving the local farmers and making sure the source of the tea was from the right place. Yep. And then it went, the, the profits from their um, products went right back into supporting the farmers. That's right. mm-hmm. And they were B Corp. And, and I just thought, wow, if I, how can I get there? And Ahmed kept telling me, you know, Modern Twist is a great idea. You're never going to go above like $10 million. Like it's not a scalable concept because each each place, Matt, is like pretty pricey and the bibs are pricey. You're not yep. going to be like in every retailer and right. really like scale the plastic-free movement. And I was like, I was a pioneer in the plastic-free movement. Like nobody was talking about plastics not right. being good. <laughs> yep. So I was like, so I had decided a long time ago that I would lead with design and function and yep. not so much with the necessarily about the that plastics are not great for you and yeah. you should like think about other ways and there are some great products that are made out of plastic but I just like you know it wasn't like what I was really focusing on at that point so um I wanted to have a company where everybody would want to work for yeah. and so I kept watching this and he kept saying and when he was advising me he's like Kat I'm not going to advise you anymore if you don't think about something else that's going to scale your movement like this is like you're just like pissing me off <laughs> I was like God like, and I knew all these CEOs that had like food companies and they were yeah. scaling their business and right. I wanted a piece of that uh-huh. so I knew all the right people I knew the channel I knew all the buyers but I didn't know how to get there uh-huh. So you need something else to sell. I need right. So being a woman and loving yeah. bags and making lunches for my kids, I'm using these like you know bags every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm using Ziplocs every day and you know bags that are resealable. And yeah. I'm like, how can I like make some? This is so cool. Like, how can I make my product into this? And when I started looking out there and I saw that there were lots of there were actually other bags that were silicone out there. A company like uh, called like Kue that was Spanish and and they had this rod on the very top. Yeah. So and it would stick as soon as like you try to pull it, you know, to the, and then if it fell in, like, if it was in the microwave or it was in the dishwasher, the rod would melt. (laughs) So I was like, this is horrible. Like, why can't somebody make a one piece, like a a Ziploc and have it be something, and gosh, look at Ziploc. Nobody's reinvented that category. Like, it's such a sleepy category. Like, glass is the only option you have because, and that breaks and it's heavy and it's wonderful. And and there's stainless steel. And if you put that in the freezer and you try to touch it, it's just like it doesn't melt right and all that stuff you can't put in the microwave. So how can I come up with something completely different? for the food storage category that will completely disrupt it. And I thought a one-piece, reusable, resealable bag. Mm-hmm. And um, so I started working on that. It took me four years and a million dollars of Modern Twist profits that I yeah. did not touch. So my husband kept saying, so when are you going to make something? So you just, <laughs> you just reinvested that right back in. Right back R&D. in. I've been doing wow. that forever. So, um, Which is why I think that you know, th- there's no easy way if you really want to hold on to your equity and bring in money at the right time. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, and, and people say, you know, I wanted to raise money from, you know, um, uh, uh, VCs and so forth. I'm like, if I was a VC and I was investing in someone, I would never invest in someone who hadn't invested their own money first. Mm-hmm. Because you know what? You're going to work so hard to make sure that your family money and the seed money that That's you raise right. is going to, you're going to not sleep every day. I didn't want to let my husband down. Mm-hmm. My mom was probably my biggest investor. Every time I didn't have money, she'd be like, who can I borrow it from? Where can I get it? What can I sell? You know, That's right. she wouldn't even hesitate because she mm-hmm. believed in me so much. That was such a heavy weight on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. So I kept thriving and going forward to do it. So anyhow, after four years, I got the seal right. Mm-hmm. I met the engineer that became one of my, he's now my director of operations yeah. at Modern Twist at one of the shows. And I told him, hey, Paul, I have this little science project on the side. You know, can you help me with this? And so he signed an NDA and blah, blah, blah. And then later on, he helped me like develop that. 
and we finally got the seal right. And um, it, we went to the marketplace and we got to the International Hasbro Show. And I told uh, Container Store because I already had a okay. relationship with right. them. Yeah, because uh, you, you're already selling the modern twist. Yeah, yeah. right. And right. besides, you know, I was one of those entrepreneurs who wanted to be a bigger entrepreneur. Right. So I knew everybody, but I yeah. just didn't have the product. So I showed up at the International Hasbro Show. We won the Global Innovations Award. Nice. And you had everyone, all the multinationals, standing there going, What is this new company that's like appeared with this new concept? Mm-hmm. It wasn't as easy was as. Called Stasher already. It was called Stasher, and yeah. I had the help of you know all the folks that are in the natural products world mm-hmm. uh, yeah. to name it. So mm-hmm. um, we wanted something that was really whimsical for an idea that was kind of a heavier topic of plastic yeah. pollution. Yep. So we thought it was fun, and it wasn't like cool. trying to say, "Hey, you know, look at me, Ziploc. I'm going to name it just like you." You know, something like close to Ziploc, and I didn't want to do that. And, for, and, and was Container Store the first major account? They were my first major account that launched with us. And um, this is, you're going to find it kind of funny because the other retailers didn't like jump on. They they were like, oh, the price point is so high. And, you know, we don't know if anybody even cares of plastics or it was just starting to like go up yeah. with the plastic free movement. How did you, sorry, just how did you think about pricing actually? Um, so the cost of your materials. Mm-hmm. And then I was already a 1% for the planet member, okay. which is Yvonne Chenard's foundation mm-hmm. through Patagonia. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, my I exist to make a difference. And I'm one of those entrepreneurs that like, I don't just say it. You ask my staff, they're like, you're crazy, you're mm-hmm. crazy. You know, because I really do believe that's yeah. what will make me happy in the long run is when I leave this planet that I said, God, I mattered for just, than, just more than myself and right. my family. So I want to have, you know, something that I've given back to this planet and protecting it is really important to me. Mm-hmm. And then uh, women empowerment's my other thing. I mean, it's just like, I think it sucks through my journey that I've had to you know, claw all the mm-hmm. way to become a CEO, a woman that's a Middle Eastern mm-hmm. woman that, you know, became a CEO of, I can't even share my numbers with you, but it would absolutely blow your mind away how much I'm doing in sales. I mean, you could. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I'll, I'll share it with you privately, but I'm not going to share funny. it on the podcast, yep. but um, we'll probably become one of the fastest growing um, companies in the Bay Area, which is huge because we'd be going against people in Silicon Valley as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll probably get that this year. So it's that's huge. It, it's huge and it's profitable and I'm still the majority owner. I only have seed that's fantastic. money. I've really only raised a million dollars of seed and family money. Oh, wow. And the fact that we've done that's that great. without like, and that's why I was able to grow a movement on my mm-hmm. own and to have the company that I want with a team that I have because I got to have my own choices. Mm-hmm. And I think, I know you guys have said this so many times, entrepreneurs really need to be careful about how they take money early on. Mm-hmm. Like try to put in the work and and claw and do what you need to before you take money from people that are going to like have you by the throat. For sure. And I, believe me, I tried to get money from plenty of people that would have my throat right now. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, you're kind of that girl that you're really lucky that the guy didn't marry you. <laughs> they didn't want to marry me. Uh-huh. So I was like, oh, you know. And some of them even said, well. yeah, some yeah. of them even said, hey, uh, you want me to invest in your science project? How about if I give you $100,000 for 50% of your company? So I was with with my CFO sitting in front of people that was I that wanted to invest Cake? from. That, that, that. So that came later. So I'm going to tell you about my CFO. So I've had my CFO for about eight years. Okay. And, and he was my brother's CFO. And he really like believed in me. And it really helped to have a, a, I'm going to be terrible, to have a white guy with white hair that, you know, you walk into a meeting with. I mean, right away, I'm a woman, and maybe I wouldn't have gotten that if I didn't walk in with him. So I, I 
did what I had to. And he was like, he believed in me <laughs> and it was amazing. And he still mm -hmm. believes in me. He's like my best friend, you know, he's amazing. So we would walk in, we went to so many people for money and nobody would give us money. And then we tried to get out of our SBA that we had for Modern Twist too. And that yeah. was like hell, mm -hmm. like they wouldn't let us out even yeah. though they had way too much collateral and so forth. Huh. I went to Jerry Brown and I got a four hundred thousand yeah, so dollar check heard, from him. Yeah, I heard about this. You, like you got like the state to give. I me did. Some money, I went right? to Jerry Brown and I said, "Jerry, they're not letting me out of my SBA." He's like, "Well, you know, his team like totally like loved me and said we'll give you the money." They gave me a huge yeah. check at the uh, because they want to support more green businesses. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like involved with um, ICA. Jose Corona was running and Sean Murphy out in the Bay Area, who were yeah. amazing group of people. I did that Mills College sort of like MBA course with Michael Bush. So there's so many good sources in the Bay Area, I just kept tapping into people that could help me with financing. Yeah. And again, Ahmed came to my rescue and, and introduced me to like a whole bunch of people that he knew, Mike Burbank and, you know, James Curley and, you know, I'm Colin Jones. And the reason why I chose those people is that they each owned, like they were really specialists in their own categories, yeah. you know, so you, you know all of them. So they, they all had a special area that they yep. focused on. And I was like, God, this guy knows Amazon, this guy knows natural products and they put in money. So I got my advisors to put in money. And I think mm -hmm. anytime that's my other advice, if anytime that you want a, um, somebody to put in money, what's in it for you? Mm -hmm. I mean, are they, is it just for money? If it's just for money, don't take it. Yeah. If they bring, and that's what I love about your organization. I hear it from everywhere and I hear it in your voice and even the event that I attended for you guys, everybody has so much respect for you because you are really invested in your people by like giving them the tools. You're not like just there, like, here's the money. Like, what are you going to do with it? You're like, can I help you with a part of the journey? Well, and capital, that's what I've been looking well, capital for. Capital is a commodity. Uh, absolutely. Know? For sure. Absolutely. Let's tell us more about your shark tank. So, yeah. yeah so anyhow, so I've been able to go through traditional financing through, you know, uh, folks that have helped me get to that. And I have amazing people that believe in us. And of course, when you're profitable, people will give you money. Like yeah. there's no tomorrow. <laughs> so, so I decided um, when I went to the marketplace, nobody could tell the difference between plastic and silicone. They were like, well, this is still a plastic product. Like, what's the difference? So I thought, how am I going to give that messaging out there without like taking out advertising or like telling yeah. everyone? So I'm like, Shark Tank would be a great <laughs> thing. Like, yeah. I could get out there and it's like flashing popcorn. People will remember it and so forth. That I still have PTSD from that. I actually, <laughs> I actually got vertigo <laughs> after it um, just because it was so nerve-wracking. I mean, yeah. it was like, I'm standing in front of Mark Cuban and Lori and you yeah. know, all these people and they pre they prep you for like two days yeah. and you're like a movie star. They're driving you around in golf carts and you know, it, it was amazing. So when I got in front of the sharks, actually they were really nice people and it was such a great, I would say if people want to do it, it is one of the best experiences they would have in their life. And it will definitely go down as one of the positive things mm -hmm. I loved. So when I got in front of them, they basically like, you better be ready. Boy, I tell you, you better know your business inside out because they're going to eat you alive. Yeah. I walked out of there being actually the shark instead of the guppy. <laughs> and that was more of their doing because yeah. it's reality TV. Right. So they wanted to. And I hate to say it again. If you're a woman, I hate to say, but you're the bitch. And if you're a man, you're super capable. Like you're just a badass. You know, look at you go. You're so I got a little bit of that where people are like, oh, Oh my gosh well she wasn't very nice and blah blah you know and, and mark was like you're amazing like you're absolutely a beast like i would invest in you so i went back and forth with my mark cuban's group to see if i want an investment from them and and we didn't agree on the terms at the end of the day so mm -hmm. that's got us on the show you had a deal but we had a deal on the, on the show on the back end afterwards it didn't work no out. and i had every i spent like twenty twenty five thousand dollars to make the deal work mm -hmm. but it just wasn't something that was in the best interest of growing the company but yep. it served its purpose in terms it of served being its a, purpose a marketing so much. opportunity and, and the, his team was amazing yeah. i mean i still ha they're still friends of mine and they you know reach out to me so i yeah. 
yeah. really like, and he's a good man. So yeah. um, it was really a, an interesting thing for me to do. Mm-hmm. And then now we still roll up as on Amazon as like the number five, you know, uh, Shark Tank product and so <laughs> right. forth. So it's been an amazing so thing. So you us. got you got yeah. everything you needed from uh, it without ever having to give up any of your company. Absolutely, for absolutely. So um, I tried to get money in that direction, but then I went to traditional financing, and we started carving out our way through distribution. Mm-hmm. So we started thinking, well how do I show people still that it's not plastic and it's silicone? And I thought, huh, you know, my friend had told me, uh, Laura Schur from Credo, I don't know, Working yeah. Assets, she, I used to like, she used to be one of my advisors and she said, Kat, there's this concept called sous vide. When you, your bag works, you should try sous vide cooking because it's this bag that you mm-hmm. put in a tank of water and there's a machine that runs around it and it won't melt, right? But people are using plastic yeah. and it's terrible for you. And a lot of people use one. So I should right? use this when uh, I sous vide. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so we are Anova. You know, Anova's the biggest... Yeah. Yeah. Sous vide maker, we are their bag. Oh, you're yeah, oh, you're and they the got bought by Electrolux. So I'm looking on LinkedIn. I'm a huge LinkedIn user. Mm-hmm. Huge. I mean, I don't know anybody who likes to use LinkedIn, huh, Rob? I'm still surprised that you actually know how to sous vide anything. So I'm, <laughs> I'm still reeling over here. <laughs> well, clearly I'm not doing it right because I think we, I think we use a plastic bag. So, so there you go. how do you feel about like actually like That's your what I'm food saying. is I, being subjected to like things that are releasing well, to it? Well, I don't now know. now I know that I should be using mustache bag, but one, one quick question before we move on to the next section. So where, where's, what's the future of Stasher? What, 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 what do you want it to, what do you, what do you want it to look like? What do you want it to be? Is it going to be acquired by somebody? You know, I, my interest is my impact. So if I can actually have bigger impact with a strategic partner, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say no. Mm-hmm. But my team is really important to me. I've built a culture from the inside out. I mean, the people that work at our company, they are there because it's, it sits with our core values of changing our plastic footprint. Mm-hmm. And if we can do that together, I mean, I don't think anybody can replicate us. And if, if somebody else comes in and I've so like driven my own thing, and if they come and they mess that up, I wouldn't want to do that. So I would right. say that that would be a total deal breaker for me. Yeah. But if I can actually like expand my impact and have a bigger footprint because mm-hmm. I have, you know, the ERP system that I need or mm-hmm. like, you know, all those things that I'm yeah. not so uh, efficient at right now and I want to grow into, then I would say that that would be a possibility. Is it something that I think being acquired is the answer? No, I think uh, it could be we're really so a really good portion of we're very unique compared to other CPGs in that our D to C arm is incredible. My VP of digital is from North Face. Mm-hmm. My VP of marketing is from Camelback. I have like seriously, seriously the most badass team on this planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I can do it on my own and I don't need money. So what is it that I would want from the other partner? Mm-hmm. That's what I keep questioning. Mm-hmm. And if it's the D to C arm where, you know, someone who has invested in Allbirds or Rothy's and they know and they're watching my Instagram that just hit 204,000 followers in two years, mm-hmm. which is like crazy. It's yeah. like all the users that are pushing us forward. It's not mm-hmm. even like my team. We don't even hardly pay for anything. Mm-hmm. So we're generating all Word this without even spending money. Yeah. And because I mean, millennials are obsessed with our movement and they're telling grandma. So it's sure. expanding our uh, mm-hmm. our reach into different demographics and psychographics. So that's where we're succeeding. Right after the break, we'll be back with our featured guest, Kat Nori. Unfinished Biz is a VMG Partners production. Subscribe for free in your podcast app of choice and visit us at unfinishedbiz.com. Follow us on our Unfinished Biz LinkedIn page and we'll keep you up to date on everything that's new. And if you love the show, we'd love an iTunes review. Five stars. <laughs> but now let's get back to our episode with Stasher founder and CEO, Kat Nori. So up until this point, has there been a bet the company moment? So many. 
<laughs> Gotta pick how, one. How yeah. about how about when I woke up in the morning and I had this one um, agent that I was working with that was my middleman between the company, my manufacturer, and myself, mm-hmm. and they were totally ripping me off blind. And I found out from the factory. And they said, if you don't pay us right now, we're going to let the factory know that you can't pay them and the business is no longer yours. And I remember like waking up and telling my husband that I wish I was dead because I knew everything we had was going to go to hell. And um, my mom went and got got me the money. And I mean, it was just like one of those horrible things. And this was during my modern twist days. By the way, I don't I don't run modern twist at all anymore. Um, I have a VP that's doing a much better job than I did because I just didn't have the interest in in being like, you know, doing that for anymore I've yeah. done it for so long and I highly recommend that people pivot pivot reinvent yourself because if you don't it's like you stagnate mm-hmm. like what is your next thing why did you do what you started and how can you elevate yourself mm-hmm. are you curious enough to educate yourself so I mean it's been a, a, a great story in terms of just your entrepreneurial journey what's been the high point having my kids along for the whole thing I'm like one of those crazy people who's like taking my kids to Japan and I take them on in meetings and they've all taken turns coming to every like um, show that we have. So, I mean, the girls at work always get an extra room for me or extra bed so that my kids come or my husband comes. Can they sell like their mom? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. My my uh, oldest son just got a job at Edelman straight out of school. So he's really excited. I know. Yeah. Go Kwisha. I think you you mentioned a little bit in terms of your bet the company moment. What is there a notable low point? Um... Low point. I haven't had that many low points at um, at Stasher, but Modern well, Twist, but I had plenty because I did all my learnings. I would feel, so. um, I would say at Stasher, it's probably the copiers. You know, the amount yeah. of copiers, and they're not just overseas copiers anymore. They're shameless U.S. Yeah. ones mm-hmm. that are just like, okay, well, you already sold your company, and you've been someone who's done well here. Why are you not going after something else that is? Are there Amazon like, counterfeit items? Um, Amazon's been not, a great partner not of Amazon ours. Amazon itself, but people yes. on marketplace oh my God. putting counterfeit products we, on Amazon. Amazon. Oh my God. We have three people a day that just go box. on Redpoint and they pull down copiers. Yeah. Right. So that's been like, and, and that's the, that's the biggest thing that I would say that I'm like really saddened when I see us companies not be creative and be the ones that are the copiers. So that makes me sad. And at this point, what's keeping you up at night? Um, hiring. I mean, we went from five to 42 people in one year. Oh wow. And I don't let, I have not, I have a really capable HR uh, consultant and I share uh, my consultant with a few of the other natural foods yep. folks and she's amazing but I can't pick my people like mm-hmm. I want that person to have that tenacity and that I'm not that methodical in my approach I'm very intuitive and I want people that come in it's time to have some data behind it so I'm bringing in people that mm-hmm. bring that methodical and I like to take risks so I'm surrounding myself with people that say Kat you can stay agile you can take your risk but this is what we're going to recommend, and those are the things that we think you should have in place first. And that makes my risks a little mm-hmm. bit more calculated instead of being that original entrepreneur that would say, I'm just going to do it, you know? <laughs> so, Robin, getting a little more background from Kat this episode was particularly helpful because mm-hmm. her childhood really shaped who she is as a person, a self-described rebel. So it's not surprising at all that she ended up an entrepreneur, and this rebellious state of mind helped her persevere as a founder. 
I mean, it translated into a really scrappy mindset. You can see it in her business model. I mean, she really was self-funded. She pivoted from one business to the other and, you know, one business funded the other. I mean, it all really highlighted itself in the fact that she even viewed Shark Tank as a marketing vehicle. I mean, most people kind of see it as, oh, this is a great way to actually get some funding. And so she's just, it really just highlights the fact that she's so resourceful. Sounds like these days things are going pretty well for her over at Stasher. The money's strong. She's hiring like crazy. But there are still some learning experiences and a lot of momentum. So it's easy to see why she enjoys the simple moments when she can. Um, I like to go walk around the lake with my uh, husband, and my dog Lilo. That's my favorite thing, and Which to spend lake? time with my Lake Merritt. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, talk about diversity and just like the coolest place with the best food in the world, you know. So, and I love to spend time with my kids. So we love to go on trips and do cool things together. So I'm really into my kids. Time for the signature game, as you know. But we've changed. We've changed the questions. Oh no! I, I was up at three in the morning. Don't get stuck on anyone. Just try to go quickly. You ready? Yes. All right, let's do it. What's your guilty pleasure? Spending time by myself. What's at the top of your bucket list? Um, to be on your show. Oh wow! <laughs> would you Would you rather be able to speak to any animal or speak in any foreign language? I'd rather speak in other languages. I would say Spanish would be great. Mm-hmm. Favorite book? Um, Khalil Gibran, The Prophet. Hmm. If you could meet any historical figure, who would it be? Abraham Lincoln. Morning person or night owl? I'd like to be a night owl, but I am a morning person recently. <laughs> if you could have one superpower, what would it be? To know numbers better. I'm just They just don't excite me. Read a book or watch a movie? Um, listen to podcasts. High five or fist bump? Fist bump. If you could only eat one type of food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Bok choy. <laughs> your favorite consumer brand that's not your own? Oh boy, that's a big one. Hydroflask. Okay. As a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be uh, like my mom. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, celebrity crush. That's a tough one. It would have to be Leonardo DiCaprio because of what he's done with the Plastic Free Movement. And I, can I have Yvonne Chouinard be the other one? Favorite yeah. way to unwind after a long day? Hang out with my husband and just like veg in bed and listen to podcasts. And he'd say, turn off your phone. <laughs> Pet peeves? People, the sense of urgency. First job? Uh, gosh, cleaning people's house. Last, last concert you went to? Oh, I just went to J-Lo because I took my whole team. Nice. <laughs> Okay, last question. What what advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs? Gosh, be passive. uh, Be passive. Don't work too hard. Yeah, raise lots of capital up front. Yeah, stay curious. Stay curious and pivot and keep reinventing yourself because you can. And if you're like curious all the time and you're learning from other people, my, my, by the side of my bed, I have so many books and I'm like obsessed with podcasts. I want to listen to other people's journeys mm-hmm. so that I don't make the same mistakes. I'm one of those people that was like, when I was little, I always hung around old people. Keep doing that. Cause if you stagnate, it's like, you're no good to anyone. Just like keep inspiring yourself and others. Well, that's great advice. Well, thanks for Thank joining you. us thanks on Unfinished Biz. Me. Appreciate it. Unfinished Biz is a VMG Partners production. You can subscribe to our show for free in any podcast app of your choice. Send us questions, comments, and feedback on Twitter at unfin underscore biz and visit us at unfinishedbiz.com.
These are the opinions of Robin and Wayne and our guest entrepreneur and are not necessarily the opinions and thoughts of VMG Partners. And now a word from our lawyers. This is not an offer to buy or sell any investments. Entrepreneurs interviewed on this podcast may not be associated with VMG businesses and discussions of their companies should not be viewed as an endorsement by VMG.